0: Hi, it's Karen here, and before we begin, I want to answer a quick question I receive often. How do I make healthy living simple? I found that with a little bit of planning and a few good tools, I've made a living healthy healthier lifestyle, and honestly, one that isn't that hard. Check out some of my favorites on the Pretty Wellness Amazon shop. Just go to amazon.com forward slash shop forward slash pretty wellness. I share my favorite tools and products for healthy living made simple and here we go now I want to welcome you to happiness through hardship the podcast I'm Karen Sullivan the founder of pretty wellness a two-time breast cancer survivor thriving with stage 4 disease and author of the book, which is a cancer guide and journal for patients and caregivers that shares the same name as this podcast, Happiness Through Hardship. I'm also a girl who wishes on pennies. I try to see the good in everything, even when life is not so great. But sometimes it takes a little more. And this podcast will provide you with what worked well for me, success stories of people that have been through hard times and simple suggestions that brought hope, resources, and connections. Now, if you like this episode and others, please do me a favor, rate, review, and subscribe. Your efforts truly will help this podcast get noticed and help us inspire more people. And now, for this episode, I am honored to introduce you to Rebecca Morrison, a lawyer-turned-executive coach and author of The Happiness Recipe, She's turned her experience and expertise into a business, providing guidance and tools on how we all have our own recipe for joy. I had so much fun with this episode and hope you enjoy the insight as much as I did. So please grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. I am so honored to introduce you to Rebecca Morrison, a mom, wife, and lawyer-turned-happiness coach and author of The Happiness Recipe. A graduate of Wellesley College, Georgetown Law, as well as USC Berkeley with an executive coaching certificate, she spent nearly two decades with a career in big law and finance, managing people, and trying to figure out and navigate her own happiness. She's turned her experience and expertise into a business. Providing one-on-one coaching to clients as well as DIY guidance to write, to provide tools and show people that happiness is for every day, not someday. That happiness is for everyone, all of us, and happiness isn't a one-size-fits-all. We all have our own happiness recipe, which, which will change as your life does. Now, as you know, this podcast, "Happiness Through Hardship," is about finding a little joy during any journey in life. So when I saw this book, I knew I wanted to share her insights with you. So please welcome Rebecca, or should I say Becky Morrison. How are you today?
1: I'm good, thanks, Karen. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you.
0: Well, I am so excited. And, uh, you know, as I just teed it up, happiness has been such a focus in my cancer journey. And even in so many people I talk with, that are dealing with hardship, the ability to find a little bit of joy during those hard times and you know, hard times might just be life in the day to day. I mean, Hey, this whole past year with COVID <laughs> we've all been through a lot. Or if you have kids, you've been through a lot, right? Or if you've just Absolutely. got a career and we, we've all been through hardship and you talk about happiness being for everyone and for for every day. But I want to take a, a step back for a second. I want you to tell us about your journey. I read in your book that you talk about some people have these light bulb moments or call it that aha moment. Well, you had a bathtub moment, and I want you to share that with the listeners.
1: Absolutely. So, um, it it looked like this. I found myself, um, and this happened about fifteen years ago. I found myself one Tuesday afternoon or evening, really, at about eight thirty, uh, kneeling on the floor of the bathroom with a toddler in the tub. And the cordless phone clipped to the back of my pants <laughs> and my notebook on the closed toilet seat and paper spread out around me and sort of set the stage. I was a at that time I was working as an antitrust litigator at a big law firm. And we had a trial coming up. And my one of my jobs on the trial team was to help prepare our experts for their testimony. And so this was a prep call that had been scheduled into the evening hours and I had planned to take the call from the office, but my husband, who at the time was working in counterterrorism, had been called back into work. And we had already agreed, as between the two of us, that his mission of keeping the world safe was more important than mine. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) And so here I was at home with the toddler and still had this call to do and was trying to do it all from the floor of the bathroom. And I had two thoughts in very quick succession in that moment. The first thought was, who says you can't do it all? Like, I'm literally doing it all. I'm a yeah. rock star. Yeah. Uh, followed very quickly by, and this is exhausting and unsustainable, and I've got to figure out a better way. And so that really kicked off um, the first time in my life that I spent any time thinking about what I needed to focus on in order to be happy versus what the world told me should make me happy. And I'd love to say, like I got there quickly, but as you know, from reading the book, it wasn't a you know an overnight right adaptation, as it often isn't, so
0: well, and yeah. I think that's true to life, whereas yeah. some people there are some people out there that can go cold turkey and make all sorts of changes um but I actually would believe that it might be easier if you're talking like your diet I mean, hey, yeah. I went from being a a junk food junkie, loving, and I would say probably a fat free like you know, fat-free chips and Diet Dr. Peppers to being a whole food plant-based eater. Yep. However, that's just, you know, it really is a mindset and 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 just changing habits. Whereas when it comes to focusing on happiness, I, I think you would say you have to do some reflection and you have some questions that you need to ask yourself to really identify, I guess, your priorities or where you want to go. And so I would like to ask you for I'm sure the listeners are here. They want to know about what's your advice on how to first start working on happiness.
1: So I have a couple of, of thoughts. And and the first is, you know, that I really view the journey back to happiness as one of reconnecting with yourself. And so for me, it was is really started and starts now with my clients by asking the questions of what do I actually need and want in order to be happy, what actually matters most to my happiness. And then the other important piece um, that I'm finding really has become a theme in my work is the difference between escaping unhappiness and architecting happiness. And that might sound like a weird comparison, but often clients will come to me and say, "I'm, I'm Unhappy, and I need to get out. I need to get out of this relationship. I need to get out of this situation. I need to get out of this career. Like, I've got to escape the unhappiness. And so they they want to jump down this road of what do I need to change? And like, just get me out of here versus really taking the time to reconnect with, again, what matters most to me, what drives my happiness, and using that as a means to architect their future happiness. And just that little shift getting a little bit more comfortable in the life you're in, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's not the life you want long-term can really open up the doors to more possibility for your future happiness, but also put you in a position not of settling for a not so great next thing just to escape the thing you're trying to escape.
0: Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. And that's really powerful. Again, it sounds like it does take a little time and work, unless you already know those things and you just haven't been doing it because like so many of us, you're in a grind and, and you're yeah. really busy. And so it's, it's taking that moment of reflection and just doing more of that. But for others, it might mean taking some time to identify that. Now, can you talk to us about how to do that? I know in the book, you have a ton of action steps and questions that people can ask and think about or journal or talk to other people about. Uh, but, but what are a few tools that you can share with us here and how to do that?
1: Yeah, so there's two that I like to start with. Um, The first is really just taking, truly taking stock of what you have in your life now. And and have is maybe the wrong word. Uh, What I really mean is, where are you spending your time, energy, and resources now? Like, write it all down. What's keeping you up at night? What are you thinking a lot about? What are you dreaming about? What are you spending your time on? What are you spending your money on? What are you spending your space in your schedule on? Um, and then looking at that list and sort of highlighting the things that you don't want to be there and maybe circling the things that you do or you know somehow indicating like keep, keep and, and go um, for these different things um, can really be kind of illuminating for people uh I had one reader of my book tell me that that's as far as they got with their work <laughs> and, and just doing that exercise alone unlocked for them the things that needed to change
0: well and, and so they go ahead no i was i was going to say that i can identify that with that because i thought before th- i thought before thinking about it i had an old boss of mine and a mentor that i look up to named rob that met me for lunch um you know just an an everyday lunch in my corporate career, and she asked me how things were going this was after my son was born, probably two years and I was like, "You know, great family and life is is all good." But then I went right and I went to talk about work. I spent 20 minutes talking about work. And she mm-hmm. looked at me and she said, well, what's your priority? I'm like, well, of course, my family and myself. <laughs> and and then we we jumped back into talking about work and all these things are on my mind. And, and when she pointed that out to me, I then started to watch my behavior yeah. and notice that, okay, I'm with my family, but I'm on my you know, iPhone all the time, checking emails or I'm doing all these. And and again, sometimes it may be a hard week or I think in the book, you talk about it as seasons. Yep. Right. Can you talk a little bit about seasons and I know I'm zigzagging a few different concepts here, but I think identifying, you were saying identifying and that was a point for me when I started to identify like, Hmm, look at where I'm spending my time, energy, and resources. And it was all work related.
1: And I think you're right. And I think it's that that awareness that we don't give ourselves the space to have. And you know, you asked about seasons. And so I kind of introduced the whole sort of approach in my book by starting to say, you need to identify what season you're in. You need to identify what is your what can you know. What chapter of your life is another way to say it. What's actually going on right now? What is the container of time and space that you're in? What are the limitations on that container that might impact what you can do? And when might that season change? And often, you know, for me personally, when I start to get a little more unhappy, a little more unsatisfied or dissatisfied with how things are going, the first question I will ask myself is, has my season changed? Because often we don't acknowledge the change in season. And I'll give you a really sort of um, big example of that. When I first became a mom, it took me a good six months to adjust to the fact that I couldn't socialize the way that I had before.
0: Right, right, right. right.
1: And it was not a surprise. I I gave birth to my daughter. Like, I was pregnant for ninefold. Right. right. (laughs) um, I knew what was happening. Right. Right. So, that I hadn't sort of adapted to what that could look like and what that could mean. And it took me so long to adapt and say, Oh, wait a minute. Of course, like I'm in a different season. Right. And that wasn't the thought process I had at the time, but often now I'll have that moment where like, Oh, okay. Yeah. No. So the season's a little different and we have some seasons that we choose and some seasons like say, for example, um, COVID or an illness. Right. That, that choose us and we have to navigate those, but acknowledging the difference in season and acknowledging some of the limitations or, or, you know, if you want to call them boundaries that come with that season can be really powerful to then figuring out, okay, given the boundaries, what can I do to architect the most happiness in this season?
0: Well, and that to me brings a lot of hope. Yep. And that as somebody who lives with cancer, I really believe in having hope for myself and for all the other cancer survivors out there. Uh, But again, my, this is my hardship. Everybody has something. And to have hope knowing that this too shall pass, right. This season should pass, but here's how we can put, you know, one foot in front of the other and find a way to be a little happy through it. Now, I know this is something that I do a lot, which I think it might hinder my happiness at some times, is I tell myself I should do this and I <laughs> should do that. And I know that you can you can share with us some of your thoughts on shoulding.
1: Yeah, I mean, like in short, we need to stop shoulding all over our joy, right? Like should has become to me, I don't want to say it's a dirty word, but it is a red flag word, right? When you ask yourself, you know, why am I doing this thing? And the answer contains the word should, that, that is a clue to take a deeper look at what's really going on there. Because should is a myth, right? Should is a construct that comes from outside of us, that comes from the world, that comes from our guilt, that comes from our stories, that comes from our upbringing around how we are supposed to behave right yeah the reality is we get to write our own story and so it's I mean should might be the surface answer and when you dig deeper you might decide you still want to do the thing but having a reason that is internal to you and a reason that aligns with sort of the life you're trying to build is I think critically important as opposed to relying on this crutch of well I should
0: and and it goes back to reframing, I think, for at least for me. When I was thinking this through as I was going through your book, I'm like, all right, let me come up with an example. And I was thinking about how uh, there was something small and social mm-hmm. that I was invited to. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I should go because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, you want your friends to feel good. You want... um you know, it was tied to my family, and so uh, we should make an appearance. And then I thought about it, and I'm like, okay, how like how could I take this shit away? And I thought, you know, the person who invited me, I really like. Mm-hmm. And I want them to, like, they, they want me there. And so I want to go to honor them. Like, it sounds kind of silly, but when I thought of it that way, like, it was almost like I watched my, not my body language, but how Mm -hmm. I felt. And it took, it it felt different. It wasn't like I felt like I had to do something and it was on my list of 20 things to do. It went from that feeling to, oh, this is a good thing and I'm honored to do it. And she would be honored that I would be there. Like that was how I felt after. And so it's it's wild the way that the, the mind works. And so I, you know, can you speak to us a little bit about how you do feel different with the reframing, whether it's around the shoulds or some other things in our life?
1: I think it's just so, I mean, you know, I mentioned a second exercise and and I want to talk about that, but, and it's the same idea, right? It's like when we can dig down to what's, you know, sort of under everything and what's actually going on, the like sort of essence of why we're feeling a particular way or why we're feeling a should, it can be so powerful and it ties back into that broader, sort of connection with self that I was talking about, right? It's really understanding how you're wired. And I think the example you gave is such a great one. Understanding that it's not an obligation that was making you feel like you should go. In fact, it was this lovely sentiment of caring about this person and knowing how much they would value your presence and wanting to honor that. I mean, that's beautiful. And that you can, you know, when you tap into that, right? Like think about what that does to transform that overall experience from one where it's out of obligation to one where it's a gift to both you and that other person.
0: Yeah. And, and I sound, I found, I sound so silly saying like, I don't see myself as a gift for the, for this person by any ways, but on the same note, I, when you come to something looking at it, from a different view and it's not, you're not checking it off because you've, I've got five things to do that day. And this is one of them. I think the experience, whether we realize it or not, it would be better.
1: Yes. No, I think that's right. Because, because we're, we've boiled it down to its essence and that's, so the other exercise I like to use with people early on, as they're trying to reconnect with their happiness is to really dig in to what are their essential sources of joy? Where does their joy really come from? What really makes them happy? And I think it's funny, I mean, I don't know if you've had this experience, but when I ask people what makes you happy, I typically get one of two responses, either a whole bunch of surface layer stuff, some of which they believe should make them happy, Mm -hmm. or I get a um, uh, I, um, (laughs) mm, you know, like we don't really know because we're just not connected to that and we're not asked to truly think about that very often during our lives. And so I like to ask that question and we just pick things. So we take maybe those surface layer responses, like, um, I'll pick on my daughter for a second. I have a 17 year old, so she's like, it would make me happy to have a a G wagon, which is a Mercedes SUV that costs like way too much money. And I'm like, okay, well, what is it about a G wagon that would make you happy? Well, I think it'd just be really cool to have such a nice car. Well, what is it about having a nice car that would make you happy? Well, I would be like really proud of myself if I could make enough money to buy that car. Bingo. What is, you know, well, we can even keep going. Well, what is it about making money that makes you proud
0: or would make you happy? Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just like how the world measures your success. uh Okay. Well, how do you measure your success? Uh Uh-huh. You know, and and so then, well, I measure my success by whether I feel like, you know, I've I've showed up and done a good job and had an impact on people. Awesome. So having an impact on people is an essential source of your happiness. How can you have an impact on people in what you're doing today? What could you pick to have a positive impact that might inject some additional happiness into your, you know, pick your day, your Wednesday?
0: that's really powerful. And on the same note, really simple.
1: So simple, but we don't do it. We don't engage. We don't stop. We don't think that way. And we don't ask ourselves that question seven times in a row or whatever it's going to take to get to that essential level. But when you can kind of develop a menu of the things that really are meaningful to me are, you know, numbers one through 10, then when you're having a time or, or a hardship, you can think about how to inject those things in simple ways. And I will tell you, having done this work now with pretty significant number of people, when you have the, I mean, none of those things are that complicated. For some people it's connection with other people. For some people it's impact. Um, For some people it's quiet time to think. For some people it's moving their body, you know, or all of the above. But knowing when you have that menu and then you're having a rough day, you can look at that menu and say, what of those things could I do today that might increase my happiness incrementally just by doing
0: them? And that, I mean, that to me is the way I want to live my life. That's the way I've tried, I think, in my earlier years. I And maybe we all did. It's what society was saying. This was the next step. This is what we do. And we found a little bit of fun and then went back the next day and and job, work, right? I guess job and work, same thing. Um, You know, almost like a checklist. But today, knowing that, and I think that life and society now is opening up to this idea Mm -hmm. of life isn't the same. I mean, it sounds silly. Life isn't the same for everybody. Like, as you put it, the recipe for your life or in in your happiness, your success, whatever it might be is defined by you. Mm -hmm. Yes. If you work for a company, you've got to follow their mission and their vision and their guidelines, but how you approach it while it may need to be somewhat of their style still is your internal wants and needs, right? Yes. Yes. And we do all come to that differently. So, I guess, again, I love that you have so many tools and I'd love for you to throw out a few more because we all get in our heads sometimes. And I know I had to laugh when I saw you talk about the magic mantra (laughs) because, you know, I love alliteration. Magic mantra is great. Number two, it is true that a mantra can play a little bit of magic for you. And last but not least, I was that person that was like, oh, my gosh, yoga, mantras, guided imagery. That like, that was stuff that I thought other people did, like people that were mm-hmm. woo-woo, that rode <laughs> unicorns and ate granola on mountains, not something in everyday life. But then I'll tell you, my mother reminded me, Karen, remember your favorite book as a kid? Oh, I'm going to tear up. Remember your favorite book as a kid? I'm like, yeah. She's like, what did the little engine that could say? Mm. He said, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And do you know what? When I was a sophomore going through finals in college, and that was probably arguably my hardest year. I was taking all these classes that like were not for my major. I didn't love. She sent me that book and she wrote me an inscription in it. And like, that's a mantra, the cute little engine that could had it. So will you talk to us about your thoughts on the magic mantra And even share a formula, because I think so many people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that, but I can't do that. I don't, you know, it's not for me. Oh, or maybe I don't even know how to do it.
1: Right. So one of the things that I've spent a lot of time learning over the past couple of years is sort of the way that our nervous system can kind of hijack our ability to make change of any sort. And. I will oversimplify it because I am not a neuroscientist, but I think we've all heard of sort of the fight or flight response, right? And our nervous system has, one of its primary jobs is to keep us safe. And so at a very high level, the way that I think about this, I think when we try to make change, we are taking ourselves to an unknown place. Our nervous system says please don't do that because even though you might not like where you are today, I know how to keep you alive here. And so they don't, you know, like the nervous system is, is sort of a character in the cast of our bodies and our lives and our minds saying, no, 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 Sit down, stay, stay here because I know how to manage this. And so that can really get in the way of making positive change. And I think the beauty of a mantra, it is, a way of feeding our nervous system and our our lizard brain or monkey brain, some people call it, an additional piece of information that might sort of effectively say to say to it, yeah, I get it. It might feel scary, but I've got this. I know where I'm going. It's going to be okay. And so that's how I think about the mantra. Is like it's and it's the I think I can is a perfect example, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Of it's okay. I'm I'm gonna try. I think I can. I think I can. And so just just giving your system that confidence to make a move. And so, I mean, I'm like you, mantras were not my jam. Yeah. Um but what I realized is they don't have to be so woo. You can, you know, and and I'm sure those of us who are living in the world of social media, you see all the the possible mantras that are out there, but they can be practical. And so, I've got a formula that I like to use and it's got three parts. And the first is to think about what is the opposite of what you're struggling with, the opposite of that trigger or old feeling. So um, let's take the the moment where you might deploy an I think I can mantra, what would you be struggling with? Maybe you're struggling with, uh, you know, I'm I'm overwhelmed, I should just quit, or this is too hard, I don't want to do it. So what's the opposite of, of that? It would be something like... Um, I can handle a lot. And then the next thing is, what do you need to feel or believe about yourself to do the thing? Well, here it would be, I think I can, I need to believe that I can. I think I can, I can handle a lot. I think I can. What outcome do you want? I'll get this done. Would be an example here. And that might be, I mean, you could just use, I think I can. So this might not have been a great example, but because you said it and I love that book too, I wanted to use it. And then you put those answers to generate together to generate a mantra. So one of the big ones for me that I talk about in my book is I figured out I had a lot of um, weird childhood stuff around physical fitness. And so my mantra when I do things that are physically feel difficult to me is I am safe, I am strong, I can do this. Which is just a longer way of saying I think I can just so we're clear. Um, But just reminding my body, like I'm not actually in danger here. I have the strength to get this done. I can do this thing that I'm trying to do. And just saying that over and over when I'm in those moments where I feel like I'm pushing myself and I feel like I want to quit yeah, has been hugely, um, like it has been a game changer.
0: Well, uh, I think the other thing for me is that sometimes just having these few words to say over and over again, gets your mind to stop thinking the other stuff, right? Yes,
1: that's right. It redirects. Right. And it truly is. I mean, Again, because I've kind of dove into sort of polyvagal theory and some of the nervous system stuff, I really think about it like I'm speaking to my nervous system. I'm I'm saying, hey, I've got this. Like, I'm safe. It's cool. You can sit down. I'm strong. And I, I can do this. And I'm going to keep us safe. You don't need to worry about trying to keep us safe right now. So, I mean, that's a great example of, like, it doesn't have to be, like, I'm abundant and, right. you know. Uh, Right. The perfect manifester. And it can be those things. No no judgment. I'm just saying it can be these very practical things.
0: Right. And there's so many, you know, for those of you listening right now, there are, you know, handheld tools, whether it's your, uh, if you want to make it up yourself, I think that's powerful. Um, On the same note, you could go Gabby Bernstein, Chris Carr, Mm -hmm. like so Mm -hmm. many, probably Oprah. They have these, uh, you know, they have cards that you can buy a deck of cards and you pick one out. The Calm app, which I love the mm-hmm. Calm app, has, you know, daily reflections and things that can help you create your own mantra or just sayings that you keep by you that, you know, that can work too. Um, but if there's something that's going on in your life and, and you want to, as, as I think you said, is like, look at the opposite. And again, it's about reframing mm-hmm. is that is that think of what the opposite would be and, you know, cheerlead yourself through that, I guess.
1: Yeah. And I would just add, like, when I say look at the opposite, right, it doesn't mean grab a feeling at the extreme op- or a statement at the extreme opposite that just can't doesn't even feel true. It's like find something sort of towards the opposite end okay. that could feel true. Okay. Right. Yeah. And use that because I just I just want to point that out because I don't want people to think like, well, I feel really stuck. And the opposite would be, I'm totally unstuck, but that's ridiculous because it's not true, right? Um, the opposite there might be, I can figure this out.
0: Well, and that, as you're saying that, that's made me thought. I think of another thing in your book that I loved, I just loved so much about it, is when you're talking about borrowing joy, <laughs> what do you mean by that? Because it all seems related.
1: It is uh, somewhat related. And so that that expression... And the, that idea really came from my mom. Um, I am a by nature, but also as a former lawyer by profession, right? Uh-huh. And I can get really good at um, anticipating what might go wrong.
0: Wait, say that again. And- I missed. I got. I got. I went in and out when you said you are by nature, personally and professionally a blank. What was the blank? Oh, I am by nature, personally and professionally. A what if A what if Oh, that's huge. I miss that. A what if uh, What if this? What if that? What if that? Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so when I was a
1: kid and I'd get into that spiral, my mom often would say one of two things. First, she would say, go to sleep. It'll be better in the morning, which is almost always true. And <laughs> two, she would say, stop borrowing trouble. Stop anticipating the bad outcome and spending energy on something you know negative that hasn't even arrived yet. If it doesn't turn out the way you want, you'll figure it out, but stop borrowing the negative outcome. Huh. And so I've evolved that in my life and in my work to stop borrowing trouble and instead borrow joy. So if you can't stop yourself from playing the what if what if game, which I can't, I mean, it's uh-huh. just part right. of who I am. You're wired that way. Yep. So I force myself and now it's become a habit and it's not even, doesn't require forcing anymore to play the what-if-it-all-turns-out-awesome game instead of the what-if-something-goes-wrong game.
0: And, I mean, to me, that's great. That is, because, I mean, I can speak, I am a, I I call it a troubleshooter. It's helped me, you know, professionally and personally in my life, but... The what if sometimes, like you said, it they spiral or you start thinking about them and 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 it never happens. It's funny. My yep. husband's absolutely opposite. He is does not do that. And but it's been really good for me because I'll, you know, say, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? He's like, take a deep breath. He's like, it's not going to happen. And if it did, if it does, we'll think about it then. Yes,
1: we'll and, cross. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Right. Right. But- right. But it can be a really fun thing when you start down that spiral. If you can't sort of turn off the thoughts, then just say, okay, well, but what if, you know, what if the car breaks down? But also what if there's no traffic and we get there early? How will we fill that
0: time? Like let's consider
1: all the scenarios so that we aren't just putting energy towards things not working out.
0: Well, you just said something about feeling. How would we feel then? I think that is key and some of these questions that you ask, yeah. can you talk about that? Well, I think for me, it's a lot,
1: of, a lot of reconnecting with yourself is really thinking about how it will feel, how it will feel when you are in a career that is more satisfying, how it will feel when it all works out, how it will feel when, um, when you inject more joy into your day to day and really connecting with that feeling has a way of magnetizing us forward towards that feeling. I mean, that's just how it is. I don't have a good explanation for it. Some people call it manifesting. I think it's just a natural sort of momentum that happens as we shift our feelings.
0: Well, and as you're saying that, it also could be eye-opening. And if you sit, like you were digging down with the questions when we were talking about your daughter and wanting the car, it's like... How do you feel? And when you get down to it, maybe being in a job or doing an activity doesn't really make you feel the way you want to feel. And so maybe it, it should no longer play a priority in your life, right? Not that it can't happen or be a part of it.
1: No, that's right. But it may fall at a different level on that list of things of priorities. That's absolutely right. And you may even find as you dig into it, um, I just had this come up with a couple of clients recently who were sort of in career transition, you know, looking at opportunities that on paper seemed amazing. And then we talked about how they would feel and it was like the opposite of expansive, you know, it was uh-huh. like stressed, overwhelmed, you know, happy to have the prestigious title, but I'm like, is that really where you want to go? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's your choice, right? Your life to navigate, but I think thinking through what it feels like can be a powerful barometer and another way to remove some of the shoulds.
0: Yeah, right, right. Well, thank you. This has been so fun for me. I'd say that we could talk for hours, which we truly could. And to the listeners out there, I, I don't say this on every podcast episode. Well, frankly, not everybody I interview is an author, but many people are. And there's been so many enriching books that I've talked about. This one is, it it, it really is great. I feel like we know Becky, even though on the book you'll see it says Rebecca C. Morrison. Um, But because she's our friend now, you know, she's Becky to us. I I think it's if you're here and you're connecting with this episode, I think it's it's worth checking out Uh, The Happiness Recipe, A Powerful Guide to Living What Matters. Now, Becky, I would love if you would play with me. It's called The Grateful Game, and it's something that we play to close out each episode. Are you willing? I'm ready. You are ready. Awesome. Well, for those of you who are new to me, The Grateful Game is something uh, that my son and I created a few years ago when he was nine. We started our own little, it's it's essentially a gratitude practice that for us each night before we go to bed, we give each other a time limit on how many minutes do you have to talk about what you're grateful for and why. And the person who lists the, um, the largest amount wins <laughs> because of course he was nine, but he's still 12 and he still thinks he should win every time. But to me, it doesn't matter. I lose every time. I don't care because it gets him, it gets me going throughout the day, identifying things that we're grateful for and why we're grateful for them. So I will kick it off. And mind you, I'm going to kick it off and say, Many times, like yes, Rebecca, Rebecca, Becky, I am so grateful that you're here on this podcast episode. But I tend to look for little things, right? Mm-hmm. Like yes, my health. Oh my goodness, I'm so grateful for my health and my house. But um, little things and things that have happened in the day to day, so that it makes makes each day a slightly different adventure. Because listen, when you're going through any type of hardship, um, or even a mundane day to day, finding little things that spark, you know, as, as they they spark joy, um, can really be helpful in healing or just helping you get through. So now I'm kicking it off. We'll give each other a minute, and I'm going to start, and I'm going to say, so last night I took a walk, and I'm so grateful for my friend who, for the last few years, I've actually been taking dog walks with her even before I had a dog. So I've been walking with Sugar (laughs) Cupcake and Caroline, and it's so I'm so grateful for it because it's just – She's a friend that I met that we're just so like-minded, and so our conversation is, yeah, sometimes it's about our kids, but it's really more about like kind of this world around us and among us, not about the like the neighborhood world around us and the school around us. But it's it's been really powerful in ways, and mm-hmm. it's really really awesome to have um, a friend that you just share various thoughts and you can kind of go like zigzag in an ad- adventure, like whether it's different books or different philosophies. And so I'm incredibly grateful for the walk that we had last night. And now that I have a little puppy that he can go with as well. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, So I'm grateful for, oftentimes I'll say technology, but specifically one of the juice bars I love. And there's a few in town I love. Just notice that online I can um, order the juice. And then, you know, I do it right. I did it right before we left to pick, uh, to drop my son at school. And then by the time I dropped him, it's right nearby. I was able to drive up and get it. It was literally three minutes of time. And then I had my green juice for the day. And so that was nice because, um, you know, I wanted to jump in and do my last minute prep with you and and it it made it easy. So those are the two things I'm grateful for and why today. So I'm going to toss it to you, Becky.
1: So, I mean, as you were talking, I had a lot of things run through my mind, but let's start with this one. So I'm grateful for the fact that I actually had some downtime yesterday, which um, doesn't happen very often. I've got two kids with busy schedules and we actually finished basketball at around noon yesterday and my 13 year old son and I got to cuddle up on the couch and watch some TV, which doesn't happen as often as it used to. So I was grateful for that time of connection, grateful for the downtime, grateful for the brain candy and the entertainment, grateful to be able to laugh together. That was super lovely. And then I will say um, the next one is that I'm grateful that my air conditioner is not broken. So I woke up this morning and it's sweltering here. I live in the, the DC area and it was like I don't know, 80 billion percent humidity yep. this morning. And I woke up and the house was hot. And I was like, no, I don't want the AC to be broken. Yeah, I didn't turn the AC on. So <laughs> um, I'm grateful for Sorry. problems that have AC fixes. <laughs> I'm grateful for air conditioning generally, but happy that mine is functioning. Um, and then the last one I'll add, it, just because it's top of mind, it's only 10.51 here and I'm grateful for coffee. I find myself every morning just really appreciating the one cup of coffee that I allow myself. Um, It's such a nice moment of peace, of warmth, of coziness. So I
0: appreciate that. Well, for sure. I love it. And so if it matters, you won because you came up with more ideas. (laughs) Uh, Me and my storytelling self loves to elaborate on it. Uh, But, uh, to to me, it's it's just beautiful. It's as I say this every time. It's not whether you win or lose; it's how you play the game. And I get in some games there are need to be winners and losers, but in this in this one, if you would just take a moment right now, like take a deep breath, take a moment, not just you, Becky, all of you who are, are listening here, uh, and and think about just something, anything that brings a little bit of joy, of positivity in your life. It may not change your entire day. It may not change your diagnosis, right? But it may I'll put you in a better mood for that moment and for the next few moving forward. And that can change your day and that can change your life if you start using this as a tool. So thank you again for joining us today. I love, love, love this these interviews. I love sharing stories and information to help provide all of you just nuggets of information and inspiration to help make your days better and have hope that you can find a little bit of joy during whatever journey you're going through in life. So um, thank you again for being here today with us and bye for now, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I wanna leave you with a quick thought, but first a request. Please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. You leaving a review helps us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. And tell your friends about us. If you love us, they might too. And now, my parting words. We play the grateful game at the end of each episode, and here is why. After my second diagnosis, I started to research who was thriving with cancer and what they were doing to be well. I learned that wellness is about consistent self care, creating everyday practices that help improve your body and mind toward a state of good health. And for me, focusing on gratitude brings tremendous positive energy and happiness into my life. So, my recipe for happiness includes focusing on gratitude. So, on that note, I just want to say that I am incredibly grateful for you, the listeners. Thank you for your encouragement, your support, your interest in these powerful stories showcased on this podcast. I hope their words have brought a smile to your face and perhaps a little bit of new knowledge or tools and even resources to help reduce stress, improve health, and find a little bit of joy along whatever journey you're going through in life. Thanks again for joining us today. I am sending you lots of happiness and great health. Bye for now.